All right, Rockbridge, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to uh, any of our six physical locations. And then uh, thousands of you or so are watching at online from somewhere, some device. And so however you are with us, we are glad that you're with us. Just as way of review, just in case you're new or you've missed a couple weekends, one, you can always catch up online as all of our messages are available there for you. But we started a series a couple months ago called Ripple Effect, and we're just navigating through the entire book written by Paul. There's a letter written by Paul to a church that's kind of a, a very modern church that existed, or a modern city, uh, and a church that li- existed there in the first century called Corinth, Corinth, and we're going through 1 Corinthians. So I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to preach about this this week and this next week. It is, if we finish with verse 7, then next week we're at verse 8, and we're submitting ourselves to God's Word. And if you're kind of new to Rockbridge, one of the things we said when we started this church, our only tradition is the Bible, and it's our ultimate authority. And one of the things Christians believe or is that, hey, this is God's Word to us. God speaks to us through it. You may not understand that or believe that. That's okay. But we really believe God will still speak to you because you're not here by accident through his word. So I hope you're open and receptive as we journey through this book of the Bible. We're in uh, chapter 6 this week of 1 Corinthians. To set things up, i I just show you a couple of phrases that you've probably said. Uh, that's the way things get handled around here. Or that's, the way things do, we do, that's the way we do things, right? Or that's not the way we do things. And for all of us, whether you run a company or you, you know, manage a household, or, you know, when you think of the holidays, you know, you're, you'll say something like this. When, when you face an issue or get into a situation, there's a way you think it should be handled or a way that you think it should be done, and, that, and that's true in relationships, that's true in our vocations and our careers, that's true with how you manage money, that's true with how you view sex, that's true about anything and, and everything. And what Paul is going to do in the next really three or two or three chapters or so, so we're going to be in this theme for a couple of weeks, and so I'm setting it up for us. What Paul's going to do is something that's very, very challenging. It's very, very crazy, but I want to set it up for us in way of a question, okay? So you've said this, and I've said this, and then 1 Corinthians is all about this. That's the central message, Christ crucified, This act of history, this achievement of God in the resurrection of his son, put a ripple effect, and it affects everything. So the question is this, is the way you do things in your job, in your marriage, in your singleness or dating, in your finances, in how you play a sport, in how you spend your time, in any matter is the way you do things, should it be, is it impacted by this? And and that's what Paul's going to do in some areas that we tend to think, well, this doesn't really affect this. This, the Christ crucified, what Christians call the gospel, the good news, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Christmas and Easter, Good Friday as well, that this, you know, how does this impact how I go to work on Monday? How does this impact how I date and what I do on Friday night? I've got bills to pay. I've got a social media account to keep active. You know, how does this impact my life? And so Paul's going to jump into a matter that's going on in the church at Corinth, and, and you'll be able to relate to it because we live in a society that, that does this as well. 
and, and then he's going to try to demonstrate something and show something. So let me just read one half of one verse, and we'll get into it. He says this, if any of you has a dispute, and, and in the Greek, it's some kind of civil legal case. It's some kind of grievance that two Christians are having within the Corinthian church with one another. So if any of you has a legal dispute, a civil dispute, a grievance against one another, and then he goes on and he's going to explain it. And, and so what our temptation is and, and the, the way we're trained to think is, hey, if it's a legal matter, I've got to step into the realm of legal issues and get that resolved. So, so let me kind of broaden it out a little bit and help us make sense of this, okay? So there's faith stuff, religion and the spiritual, right? And then there's legal stuff. And so the Corinthian church was sort of like, hey, we've got a problem with a brother or a sister, and it's a legal problem, a civil matter, and so our faith doesn't impact it, so the cross of Jesus doesn't impact it. I mean, the, the cross is the cross. The legal matter should be handled in, in the courts. Similarly, we could say, you know, there's God, there's Bible in the church, and then there's regular life. And, you know, a lot of us are like, man, I, I take notes during the sermon. I give a little bit of money. I go to church when I can, but then I just go live my life. And I'm a Christian, right, or I'm a God follower or, or a Jesus follower, and there's this distinction, right? Or we could say it this way, in, in, by using the traditional day of the week when people go to church, there's the Sunday, who I am on Sunday, what I do on Sunday, and then there's the rest of the week, and they're not related or they're not connected. And so the issue that is emerging in Corinth, and it's so prevalent in our society today, is what a lot of us would call the sacred-secular divide. That there's sacred matters, and, and some people increasingly in our nation would, would get rid of sacred altogether. And, and the, you know, there's nothing of God. Maybe there's God's man upstairs, he's distant, but, but there's this sacred secular divide or dualism that there's religious stuff that God deals with, and then there's everyday stuff that I deal with. So here's a way to think of it I've got a God box, okay? And you've got a God box too. Now, yours may be a different size, metaphorically speaking. But in your God box are the things that you go to God for, or the, the, in your God box are areas of your life that you would say are under the lordship or leadership of God or of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're areas of your life that are yielded or submitted. And, and so for a lot of us, our God box is, is maybe areas we've surrendered to God, or our God box is, Matt, you know, I, I come to church occasionally and, uh, you know, but I've got a job and I'm raising kids and I'm an Uber driver for my 12-year-old and, you know, and I've got all these things going on and, and you know, and, and God doesn't really impact that. I mean, I go to God for comfort. I go to God, you know, to, to say I've gone to God, but th how does, you know, how I take my kid to the ball field, impact, how is, how's God in that? And you see the challenge, right? I mean, I, I, again, I've been a, you know, a kind of a professional Christian for 20 years, but I remember when I was in the Navy, one of my, I was like, God, how, do I, how am I a Christian in the Navy? You know, I mean, it's, I, I know it, right? I mean, when you go to work, you go to work, just like millions and millions of other people, and, and a lot of them, work, God's, their God box doesn't include their job. And, and so what Paul is, is sort of going to is, man, what all can go into your God box? Can a legal matter, a civil matter, a civil dispute, can that go into the God box? 
Does, does how you spend your time, how you spend your money, does a medical issue, does what you do on Mondays or Tuesday nights or Friday nights, does that go in the God box? And so that's the kind of the question that, that's being talked about. That's the kind of question to set up 1 Corinthians 6, and it's really going to go on into uh, chapter 7 as well. So there's two questions that we're going to have to wrestle with, okay? Two questions that we're going to have to wrestle with. The first one is this. Does the gospel give us the resources to handle literally everything? Does the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, give us the resources to handle anything and everything? Now, now some of us would say, well, it, it does on the whole heaven or hell thing, maybe, or it does, you know, when the doctor tells you stuff that you, you don't want to hear. It, it, it does when you get in a situation that you can't work yourself out of. You know, there's no atheists in foxholes, as military people say. So, yeah, the, in, but does it give you the resources to handle, to deal with, everything, you know, whatever everything includes. Does it do that? And then some of us may say yes, some of you may say, some of us may say no, but if we say yes, then there's a second question. Well, is the gospel way the best way? Because you've got a way you do things. I've got a way I do things. Is the gospel way the better way or the best way? And, And that's really the crux of the matter, right? That's really the crux of the matter is, is, is the gospel way, is it better than your way? Is it better than the way you've been doing your marriage? Is it the, better than, is, is it the best way? And so that sets up really the whole argument or the whole conversation that Paul's going to have is basically, okay, what all should go, can go in the God box, okay? And if we put that in the God box, is it going to be handled the best way? And that's a faith decision, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a decision that sometimes of surrender, but that sets up really where we're going to be the next several weeks. Let's jump back in and rejoin our Corinthian friends of yesteryear. So if any of you has a dispute against each other, how dare you take it to the courts? So Paul, right out of the gate, he's like, listen, you think legal matters need to go to the courts because that's what you do in first century Corinth or in 21st century America. How dare you take it to the court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? So what he's saying is two Christians have a dispute. Why would you take it to the Roman court system? And and most Romans at this time were not Christ followers. They were not believers. They were actually hostile to or indifferent to Christianity at at this time. So why would you take it there instead of taking it to your, your brothers and sisters in the church? the saints. And other people are like, well, no, no, the church is for Sundays. Church is for funerals. Church is for spiritual stuff. The courts are for legal stuff. Paul's like, how dare you think that way? So, so, and this may start to like, you know, proverbially push on us a little bit, but what we have to understand is when we decide to follow Jesus Christ, we have to unlearn some of our ways and learn his ways. So we continue navigating through the text. Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? So Paul looks ahead at the new kingdom. Paul looks ahead at where history's coming. And he's like, listen, the people in the church are going to be kings and priests and rulers of the world. So those same people that you won't go to for this matter, man, they're going to judge and rule everything when Jesus comes and makes everything right again. 
And he says, so he says, if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? God is going to give the world to his people under his ultimate authority. And so you won't even take trivial matters to the church that you belong to? That's his argument. Don't you know that we'll even judge the angels? How much more should we be involved of matters of this life? So he's basically saying Christianity gives you and I the resources to handle disputes in a God-honoring way. And Paul's argument is that's way better than taking it into the Roman court system where the judge or the jury or whatever they use, not even a Christ follower. So he continues, he says, so if you have such matters, do you appoint your judges? Do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? So you're letting unchurched, non-churched, which in Paul's world, remember in Paul's world, there's no such thing as an unchurched Christian. So he's saying you're letting unchurched people, a.k.a. people who have not received Christ as their Lord, King, and Savior, you're letting them handle matters of your life. And I say this, to your shame. So Paul's not happy. Paul's saying, listen, legal matters or this dispute that y'all have got, it's got to go in the God box. It doesn't go in the court's box. That's what he says. And some of us are like, how does that work out? So he's going to continue navigating. He says, can it be that there's not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. So why would you do that? Now, in the back of Paul's mind, and if you've been tracking with us through this series, is what he said to us about Jesus. And he said something about Jesus that I think is incredibly profound but incredibly forgotten in today's world. He says this, it's from him, Jesus, that you were in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. That Jesus' wisdom, later on he'll say you and I have the mind of Christ, that the wisdom we get by being a follower of Jesus, being in a community with other believers, that wisdom helps us navigate gray matter, sticky matter, confrontational matters. Okay? Now, we're not talking about a criminal situation here. We're talking about something civil and some disagreement between two Christ followers in the church. So what Paul's going to do is he's going to basically share, he's already shared one of them, which I'll put on the screen in just a second, three resources you and I get by virtue of putting Jesus on the throne of our lives, three resources that we get that should give us confidence to put literally everything inside the God box. The first resource we've talked about is what I'll call gospel community or it's the church, that the church is a resource for you and I to draw wisdom from. The church is a resource where we should be talking to our brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking prayer, seeking counsel for how we should live our lives wisely in a broken, fallen world, such as the first century Corinth, such as 21st century America. Consider what Proverbs says, the fool's way is right in his own eyes. But whoever listens to counsel is wise. Plan, Proverbs 15, 25, plans fail for that where there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so the question is, where do we get many advisors? 
Now, first, we have to realize these two passages of Scripture fly in the face of American individualism, which is basically personified by Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, right? Or Burger King, you know, have it your way, right? And, And so the Bible and the gospel of Jesus is not for Frank Sinatra's song or the way of the king, right? The Burger King, right? That is, it's for the way of Jesus the king, uh, not the clown on the commercials, right? So we have to see that. So where do we have access to wise counsel? You go to Hebrews. And let us consider one another in order to provoke, spur, encourage love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. And apparently there were some Christians back then, no different than today, who were like, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to sit in a circle with other people. I can handle life on my own in a fallen, broken world. In the Corinthians case is, why would I go to the church? I need to go to the courts, right? But the author of Hebrews is like, you can't neglect that because you need to be encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching, which is the end of time's culmination or the coming of Jesus. So it's not going to get any easier to walk wisely in this world. It's going to get harder. So all the more reason you need to be in fellowship with other believers. That's what he's saying. And so what he's saying is, now this is even more convoluted today because you can literally Google a sermon, a podcast. You can download a book within two minutes and have information right at your fingertips. And so a lot of us are like, man, I don't have to go listen to Matt. I can listen to my guy from California, which is true. A lot of us are like, man, I can find, but here's what you and I tend to do. We try to find, we try to find somebody who will go ahead and tell us what we really want to hear, not what we need to hear. And so what the Bible is simply saying, because God knew there would be this abundance of information right at our fingertips, and he still put this in the Bible for us, and he still created the church, because God knows you need to be in a circle, you need to be in relationships with a local church where people hear your voice, see your face, know how to pray for you, know how to talk to you, and know you and love you enough to to give you godly counsel. This is why, partly why, as a church, we have revamped our entire membership process. Because I'm going to just be quite frank with you, it atrophied over some years. That's on me and our elders, and we've recalibrated that because we recognize, man, there are aspects of our membership that were not as faithful to Scripture as they should be. And so we as leaders have to own that and then provide a way to move forward in that. And then, so now you're hearing us talk so much and encourage you, if you're not a member, go to All In, check it out, right? If you're not going to be a member here, let me help you. Let your campus pastor help you. I've got pastor friends. I'll, I'll help you find a church. I'm so convicted by this resource or this blessing of gospel community. Let me say one more thing. There is a huge difference when you and I move forward in decision-making and put more of our lives in the proverbial God box, there is a huge difference between saying, I've prayed about it, and we've prayed about it. I am convinced, for matters of wisdom, 
and you're making decisions about how to deal with something, how to handle something, and a lot of that something is not explicitly addressed in Scripture. Principles are in Scripture, insights are in Scripture, but wisdom comes from Christ, Scripture, and the church. So I'm convinced if we want to walk in wisdom, if we want more of our lives to be impacted by God or in the God box, then we've got to be stop saying, I've prayed about it, and make sure there's at least some people around us who look us in the eye, hear our voice, and can come alongside and say, I'll pray about that with you. So when you go left or you go right or you stop or you go, there's people who said, hey, we've prayed about it, and this is the way we discern from the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, through the people of God, that we should move forward. It's powerful, right? It's anti-individualism. That's why some people are like, whoa, people up in my business like that. That's a blessing from a God who loves you. Because listen to what he says. We who are many as one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You're not just members of a church. You're members of one another. So resource number one, that trying to get our God box to, or more stuff in our God box is gospel community. Let's go to resource number two where we rejoin Paul in verse 7. He says this, as it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. So the fact that you, as the Corinthian, these, these people who are disagreeing, these two believers, two Christ followers, the fact that you have both ran off to the courts and, and chosen to handle it there, that's already a defeat. Wow. Okay. And then he goes, and he kind of ups the ante. He goes, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you're doing yourself a disservice by doing wrong and cheating, and you do this to brothers and sisters. So listen to what he just said. And this is so countercultural. Paul said, it's better to absorb a wrong than to handle something in the wrong way. That's not my words. That's, that's Paul, what Paul said. He said, listen, it would be better just to not even go to court and to absorb the cheating or the wrongdoing that you experience. I don't know the circumstances. The Scripture's silent on that point, so I will not speculate but he's saying it's better to absorb a wrong than handle it the wrong way. Now, how can we do that? Because isn't that what we all fear a little bit? Man, who's looking out for number one? If I don't protect myself or my interests or whatever, who's looking out for me? And that's where resource number two comes in, which is the achievement of the gospel. That the gospel has, when we reckon or understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel has given us something that nobody can take away from us, no matter how they wrong us, hurt us, cheat us, commit injustice against us. Hear me say that again. The gospel has given something to us that your enemies cannot take away from you. Let me say it this way. No irredeemable harm can come to one of God's children. Now, let me say it again. No irredeemable harm can come to one. Doesn't, I didn't say harm. Harm will come. Harm has come. Harm will come again. 
but no irredeemable harm can come to one of God's kids because of what Jesus has unleashed through his blood, his death, and his resurrection for his people. That's hope some of you need this weekend. So let's think about the gospel achievement and compare it, okay? We can pursue what I call worldly wins, worldly status, or we can rest in what Christ has already won for us. We can try to be right in Corinth or in Cleveland or Hickson or Chatsworth or Calhoun or Dalton or Ringgold or wherever, or we can know we are made right in Christ. We can seek validation and acceptance from Corinth, from the world, or we can cherish our validation and acceptance from Christ. See, let me fill in a blank for you. One of the things that was motivating the Corinthians to, to go to court. Now, listen, sometimes you got to go to court, okay? I mean, it, it is a fact of society, and God does put government in place, and there's, 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 there's times where that's possible and necessary. But what they were also doing is they were going to court because they were status seekers. And they thought, man, if the court rules in my favor, I'll have status in Corinth. And Paul's like, you got status from Jesus. You don't need status from Corinth because one day Corinth ain't going to be here. But the church will be here. God's people will be here. So he's saying the achievement of the gospel enables you to, to, to not go to court, enables you not to obsess your energy about being proven right in this world or validated in this world because God's already given you all of that eternally in the gospel. So what happened to the Corinthians and what happens to us? What happens to gospel achievement? Because what God has won for you is so expansive, it's so eternal, it's so guaranteed, we can never lose it no matter what happens to us in this fallen, broken world that's going to pass away one day. What happened to gospel achievement? Well, sometimes we just have gospel amnesia. Man, we forget. We go through our day, and, and man, it's, it's, it, it, the God box gets smaller. We take things out. We forget what God has done. That's why, not, that's why meeting together is important. That's why observing the Lord's Supper is important. That's why watching someone being baptized where the gospel of, is illustrated of dying to old and rising to new, dying to old self, under new leadership, the leadership of Jesus. That's why we all have to fight gospel amnesia. Church helps us. All these things help us. We also have to fight gospel reduction. I, I want to say this emphatically. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this, but I, I continue to bump into it, right? The gospel is more than getting you and I to go to a good place when we die. It's also to help us live victoriously from the day we put our faith and trust in Jesus on into eternity. So don't reduce the gospel to funerals and baptisms. Don't reduce the gospel to cancer diagnoses and 911 phone calls to the man upstairs. The gospel affects everything. And then here's the other one. The tyranny of the urgent versus the totality of the ultimate. The tyranny of the urgent tends to make us forget what's ultimate. You've ever had a crisis and you're like, man, I'd forgotten what really matters. The gospel shows us what's ultimate. The gospel points us to the totality of what God has done for us 
and promised to us as his kids. So we want to always be cherishing the totality of the ultimate and not losing that at the expense or losing that because of the tyranny of the ultimate. And with that, Paul's going to move forward and, and wrap up this conversation and, and say some more about what was going on in the courts in the first century. And then he's going to tie that back in and remind them of the power and the potential of the gospel. He says, listen, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? So he's saying, look, we need to start living now like we will live then when Jesus makes everything right. And the church is kind of like, I don't know if you ever, like an embassy in a foreign country. And when you're in that embassy, like if you went to, you know, let's say Paris and you went to the U.S. embassy, even though you're in France, when you go to the U.S. embassy, man, that represents, that is the United States of America, right? The church is representative of the kingdom. We're like an embassy of the kingdom. We represent the interests of the king. We foreshadow uh, the, the, the second coming of Jesus by how we live counterculturally. So he's like, listen, the unrighteous, and he's talking about the people of the Roman court system, they're not going to inherit God's kingdom. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Your God box needs to include literally everything. And he goes and he gets real specific. He says, listen, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. What he's saying is, and this is not a comprehensive list, but this is how people are are known. This is their core behavior. This is, this is not just one time or one or two or some oopses. This is like who they are. It's like their core identity. And, and the, the assumption or the implication is the people running the Roman court system are these people. And, and why would you as a kingdom person go, or a kingdom of Jesus person, go into the kingdom of the empire of the Roman emperor and allow that guy and, and the, his representatives to resolve your disputes? Why would you do that? And then he says something crazy and really amazing. He says, and some of you used to be like this. <coughs> Key phrase, used to be, because they were saved by Jesus. They were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and put in the kingdom of the Son of God. So notice what he's saying. People in the Corinthian church used to be sexually immoral, used to be idolaters, used to be adulterers, used to be males who had sex with males, used to be thieves, used to be greedy, used to be drunkards, used to be verbally abusive, used to be swindlers, but they're not anymore. Why are they not anymore? Because you, and look what he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. These are all things that the gospel makes true of us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You were justified in the name, here it is, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So what Paul is saying is, listen, you just need to be who you are. You are not these people anymore and therefore, you should not seek wisdom from these people. You should not seek counsel from these people. You should not seek resolution of your disputes from these people because you have been transferred out of this. You used to be like that, but now you are washed. You were sanctified. You were justified, made right in God's sight, all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So what he's saying, this is the third resource of the gospel, is now you have a gospel identity. 
So you need to be who you are. <coughs> you need to be who you are. Washed, sanctified, justified. You need to be that person in everything you do. So wherever you are, be who you are, which is washed, sanctified, cleansed, justified. Be a Christ follower wherever you are. So here, here's the powerful thing. Be who you are, wherever you are, whenever you are, and whatever you are doing. There's really no God box. It's all God's. And his authority extends into everything. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a threatening thing. It's the best thing. Because he loves us so much. He sent his son to die for us, to redeem us, to give us an inheritance, and to lead us forward. And when he's leading us forward, there is never a time when we cannot say the best is yet to come. And there will never be a time when we will look back and say, I gave that to God. I did it God's way. And we will always look back and say, it was worth it. It was worth it. That's how good of a God he is. So here's my challenge, and then we'll pray. You all walked in here, and I did too. I mean, I, I know I threw this to the side, but I'm going to be real. You all walked in here with a God box. I firmly believe, one, there is no God box, but we don't all get there in a day. It's progressive. It's new direction, not perfection. Here's my challenge. Here's my prayer for me, for you, for us this weekend at all of our campuses, for those of you that are online. What's not in your God box that needs to be in your God box? Let's pray together. God, first, we want to acknowledge in light of the scope of your kingdom and the benevolence of your leadership and lordship and the call of your son, Jesus Christ. There, we acknowledge, God, there is no God box, that everything is yours, that everything has been affected by the death, burial, resurrection, and the reign of your son and the extent of his kingdom. There is no God box. Yet, God, we are grabbers and we are takers. And we are so hard to let go of control. We're so hard to trust anything but ourselves. Even though you have proven yourself trustworthy because you have died for us. So, God, just being completely transparent. The vast majority of us listening to this message have a God box. Some people's may be way bigger than the one I've held. Some's may be smaller, but it, but it, but it just is what it is, God. So, God, first we just want to acknowledge that's wrong and ask you to help us give more things over to you. But, God, because you work in steps and because you work progressively, I just want to pray that your Holy Spirit right now might speak to us here today, this weekend, and identify at least one thing. Maybe it's a decision. Maybe it's a sphere of influence. Maybe it's a place or a way we spend our time. Maybe it's how we think about money, how we think about something. One thing, God, that needs to go in the God box. Eventually, God, we know we got to get rid of the God box because everything would go in it. But that one thing, Holy Spirit, help us 
right now. Come to a place of sweet surrender, recognizing your lordship, not as a threat to our happiness, but as a path to our fulfillment, as a path to our purpose, and a path to the greatest joy ever, which is the joy we have in following you, Jesus Christ. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.